With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, we're doing more off-season previews. We focused on the Western Conference last time. We're going to focus on part of the Eastern Conference today. To join me in this endeavor, we're going to talk to Fred Katz from over at The Athletic, our terrific beat writer over in New York City. How's it going, Fred? It's going great. Terrific. Wow. What a word. I don't know if I can say that, but it's uh, it's wonderful to be on this terrific podcast once again. Well, and I'm always happy to have Fred on because Fred has covered as many teams as I think anyone has in the league at this point. You have covered... Oklahoma City, the Clippers, Boston, uh, Washington, and now the Knicks. Did I get them all? Yeah, I mean the Clippers. Clippers wasn't like full time beat job. That was like uh, yeah. my first like NBA blogging job. The rest of them, you got them. Yeah, yeah. Thunder, Boston for an off season, and then uh, <laughs> and then Washington, and now the Knicks. If if I uh, if I keep this up, I'm gonna be. My goal when I got into beat writing was like, you know, some people say they want to be the Michael Jordan of beat writing, but I want it to be the Ish Smith of beat writing. And that's what I'm going to do. I love it. You're just going to jump around and get to a bunch of different places and we're going to see where you end up at the end of the day. I love it. Exactly. Fred and I are going to talk podcast uh, off-season previews for the Atlantic Division, which is going to include the Boston Celtics, who are in the NBA Finals. The Brooklyn Nets, the New York Knicks, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Toronto Raptors. Before I do that, Fred, do you have any takes on the finals that you have to get off your chest before we jump into Boston here? Oh, I just I think it's gonna be a really good last five games. That's my that's my generic, uninformative take. I'm I'm super excited to see how uh Boston responds specifically to how Golden State guarded them in game two. It's like, yep. I, I love the way that the finals go from a, from an adjustment to adjustment standpoint, game to game. And like Golden State was getting so much more into their shooters. Gary Payton, the second made such a big difference. Uh, they changed the matchups with Draymond, you know, putting him basically on, on Jalen Brown right off the bat, pretty much like I, yep. I'm, Boston is going to come back and play it differently. They played they they you know played they had bad ball security they were turning it over like crazy they shot what was it thir- 11 for 37 i think on two pointers not in the restricted area like that's not happening again so i just seeing how they respond to to the way that golden state defended them which i thought was just an obscenely high level in game 2 both these defenses are they are the two best defenses in the nba especially when draymond is going and uh I love I love watching defense of that caliber. I just think it's so fun. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree on all of that. I love the way these two teams defend. I, I mean, it goes even further than that. So like midway through the third quarter, Boston was eight for 30 on two-point shots, period. 
like including shots in the restricted area, including transition opportunities. Golden State did a phenomenal job, I thought, of not allowing Boston to run, not allowing them to get clean looks at the rim. Uh, it, it was just very, very impressive how they adjusted immediately. I think that Boston's adjustment is probably going to be playing fewer alignments with two bigs with Robert Williams and Al Horford, or even like Daniel Tice being out there occasionally. Like my assumption is we see a lot more of a smaller alignment. They try to get guys like Kevon Looney in space and then try to play Kevon off the floor, try and play. I mean, we look, we've, we've seen teams try to play Kevon Looney off the floor. It's a lot easier. It's hard. Kevon Looney is not your typical big. You can just play off the floor. He's, he's actually really good defending in space. Yeah. No, Just I mean, I remember size. when Kavon, I remember when Kavon was like at UCLA, people thought he was like a six foot nine, like point forward type who could like handle the ball and get out in transition and do all of that shit. He just like, isn't quite athletic enough to do that at the NBA level, but he does retain a lot of those movement skills that he developed from a younger age always being the guy on the perimeter, right? So I think he just has a natural comfort out there that's a little bit harder to take advantage of than what people think. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm super excited to see what this series brings us. Uh, and it's going to be hard for them to play Kevon Looney off the court anyway, unless they play like Grant Williams at the five. And I think if you play Grant Williams at the five with the way that Andrew Wiggins and Kevon Looney are crashing the offensive glass, that's a recipe for a nightmare potentially. So I I don't know. I'm excited for this. I'm really excited for this series. I do think that golden state, it has the upper hand still, even though Boston now is home court advantage in this series. Um, I I think that what golden state did defensively uh, really has potential to cause Boston problems just because Boston can stagnate a little bit more often than what you would like to see. Also like, the really fun adjustment is the one that is so simple. Like Golden State is just running Stephen Curry in more like on ball screens, right? Like it's just like, hey, let's give our player on or give our point guard more on balls. And he's dominating. He's been incredible offensively. Uh, I think that like I, we did our tab NBA tip off show that I do every week here in Australia with Chris Anstey and Ben Kadane. And Midway through the show, I just like had to stop everyone and just be like, are we just like taking Stephen Curry for granted with how good he is? Like everyone's talking about adjustments. Everyone's talking about, oh, the way the defenses are playing. Stephen Curry is fucking God. Like this guy is unbelievable. <laughs> I First of all, Benyam's awesome. I love Benyam. Just the best. He's the best. He's such a good uh, dude. Curry's been so good on pull-ups. But you know what? I mean, you talk about Golden State's adjustment of running more more ball screens, more pick and rolls, because they just don't really do that with Curry. Uh, Draymond Green has been such a good screen setter in this series. It's been ridiculous. Like he's taking out, he's setting the most illegal screens ever. And I don't say that as a critique. I don't say that as a, we say it respectfully. Yes, of course. Because if you give me a list of the best screen setters in the history of this sport, I will give you that same list of the most illegal screen setters <laughs> in the history of this sport. That's the way it goes. Do we think that Kevin Garnett was just setting the cleanest, most wonderful screens? Mm. No. 
He was doing everything illegal possible. The trick to good screening is not doing it the best you can legally. It's doing it the most illegally you can without getting caught. <laughs> and Draymond Green, I'm not even kidding. That really is what it is. And and Draymond Green is just this isn't a dirty thing. It's just he sets him moving. He's taking out two guys at once. And and there are moments where like it looks like Boston is is playing a drop. And they're not. It's just that two guys can't get over Draymond. Uh yeah. And and Curry is just walking into these pull-up threes, and it's happening time and time again. And he's doing this against the best defense in the NBA, the greatest screen defenders who you're going to play against. I think Boston is going to be able to overcome that. They're really well coached. They're really smart. I think they're going to find some way to adjust to that. And um, you know, you mentioned Boston, you know, Golden State really thwarting Boston in 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 uh, transition and the best. Yep. Adjustments, the, or the the simple adjustments that you can make. I, I don't think the simplest adjustment is just running some some more pick and roll. I think the simplest adjustment is the play better adjustment. Like <laughs> some of this is just like Boston didn't play well. Like Marcus Smart shot yeah. one for six, turned it over five times, and they got four shots for Al Horford. I think they just didn't really know how to get him open in game two. And it's yeah. like Al Horford's not going one for four in game three. And and Marcus Smart might go one for six, but he also might just hit six threes. Uh, the turnovers are a problem too, because part of the reason why Boston couldn't get out running is because when they turn the ball over, Golden State gets out running, and then and then Golden State is you know coming back down with a set defense again. Um, so it's just like you know a lot of this stuff is is just kind of predicated on like if Boston just kind of plays like they do, if they don't shoot. 11 for 37 on twos outside of the restricted area. If, if Jalen Brown doesn't shoot five for 17, um, if they don't kind of sort of settle for some of these, uh, you know, just shooting over guys from 19 feet, like Tatum sometimes has a tendency of doing, and they rattle out I, that, that that's going to make up 15 points right there. And then you got yourself a game. Yeah, that's a good point. We'll see what happens in game three. I'm really excited for it. But let's talk off-seasons. Let's talk about the Boston Celtics to start. Uh, we'll just transition right into them. Because I think their off-season discussion is honestly like relatively simple. They're actually kind of locked in. They've already extended Marcus Smart. They've already extended Robert Williams. Uh, they have to figure out whether or not Jalen Brown is amenable to an extension. Uh they, they've told Al Horford that they're already picking up his last year. They're going to be close to the tax, and they're going to have to pay the tax at the end of the day uh, to keep a core like this together. We'll find out if they're willing to do that. Uh, you know, They have a lot of open roster spots near the end of the roster. It, what, what do we think this Boston team needs? I mean, they might not need anything to get all the way to the top, but where do we think their improvements can come? I mean, it couldn't hurt to have just like a real point guard. I'm not talking about bringing in some huge name. I'm not talking about signing Jalen Brunson, but it it couldn't hurt to bring in somebody who can do the role that they hoped Dennis Schroeder could do. That doesn't mean you have to splice him into the starting lineup and give him 32 minutes a game, but just throughout the course of a regular season, it's nice to have somebody who can reliably control the offense and 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 do a little something. They're able to get away with it because they're spectacular defensively and because Tatum has become a way better facilitator and because yeah. I think Marcus Smart has settled into that role really nicely. But 
but smart is not a guy who's just controlling the floor, making the best decisions at all times. He'll have some high turnover games like we saw in game two. And obviously he's prone to, uh, we'll say some overconfident jump shots. Uh, <laughs> as much as I just, I, I, I'm not sure there's a player in the NBA. I enjoy watching more than Marcus smart, but I think even the biggest market smart fan would, would, would levy that. So I, I'd say just some kind of, of, of just kind of a reliable high end backup point guard. I think, could be the guy who maybe they could try to land with with the taxpayer mid-level um do you see another direction they could they could go with that if they if they wanted to use it i mean they're a team that it kind of tries to steer away from the tax and they're going to have to go into it and paying the taxpayer mid-level once you're in the tax is obviously more than just the the six or so million dollars that that costs you from salary perspective because you have the you know luxury tax dollars too the the guy that is kind of interesting to me a little bit for them just because I think this guy really wants to win and I think he's going to be really looking forward to trying get trying to get back on the court. I wonder if like John Wall would like that spot. Oh my god. Like Cuz like if he gets bought out by Houston, I wonder if like that would appeal to him. Maybe he wants to start somewhere like honestly, you know, the team you used to cover the Washington Wizards like they need a point guard, right? Like I, I wonder thought- if a reunion there could make sense. But, I don't think so. That's my that's my informed guess. I thought you were going to say the other team. I thought you were going to say the Clippers for John Wall. Yeah, the Clippers also could make a world of sense. Like the sneaky thing is that I think Reggie Jackson was really good last year, and I don't know that they need a starting point guard. Also, it's well known that Reggie Jackson and Paul George are very close. Like then again, maybe they're just happy to have John Wall around. Like I think that that actually makes a lot of sense as well. Um, yeah, I mean, there are going to be a lot of options for John Wall among contenders, right? But it's it's kind of hard to find the guy that really fits in with Boston because the thing that I almost think they need more than anything is they could use one more shooter, it feels like. Like if they could find one more guy that can consistently knock down shots, I think it could give them just that little bit more lineup versatility uh, to play offensive structures that – don't rely on them just trying to find the mismatch every single time and then, you know, kind of getting ball stoppy a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, look, we're nitpicking. Yeah, they're, totally. They're a finals. They might be the title team and they're young and their defense is, I think it's the best defense I've seen in years. It's, mm-hmm. I think their defense is absolutely extraordinary with just how interchangeable everybody is and how they just don't have it's the perfect playoff defense because they don't have exploitable holes like the best way to defend in the playoffs you could have four all defense caliber guys and one crappy guy and against like a finals team a finals level offense will find that crappy guy and just pick at that scab over and over again and totally. you're not going to look like you have four all defense guys on the floor. Boston just has somewhere between above average and top notch on defense, basically everywhere. Uh, right. You know, it, it's, you, you look at their crunch time lineups and it's like when they have their guys out there, it's like, who do you go at? You got Derek White. It's like a really good defender. Please, no. He's just not Can't like Derek White. Yeah. But, but you do because it's like the other options are Marcus Smart or Al Horford or or if you know Robert Williams is healthy, Robert Williams or Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, it's like you're not going to those guys. So like, right. there's just no options. Uh, there's right. no options there. So I mean, look, we're 
we're picking. And if you go to shooter, you're bringing a shooter. It's like, he's probably not as good of a defender as any of the guys I just so named. Can I, can I give, can I give one name that I think is interesting as a shooter? Please, please. I wonder if Joe Ingles makes a lot of sense for them coming off of his injury. Cause Joe yeah. can hold up defensively a little bit and he fits their scheme really well. Uh, I wonder because like he can also initiate a little bit more for a team that doesn't have a traditional point guard, right? Like Joe Ingles might be like the perfect guy. Like we don't know what Joe is going to look like coming off of his injury, obviously. And there are some worries there and to the point where I think he actually could be in their price range. Uh, that, that is that that's actually the one that I like most for them. That's an interesting gamble. Yeah. I mean, he was looking slower defensively already before the injury. Yeah. Like he, he was not the same level defender that he was two years ago before he got hurt. So I would be wary coming off the injury, but like he's, I mean, Joe Ingles was before he got hurt. I mean, that's a hell of a player, like can run pick and rolls. There were times where he ran point for Utah, really. I mean, runs pick and rolls, absolutely automatic from the corners, just as good of a corner three point shooter as there is in the league, pretty much. And uh, I, probably the greatest uh, defense caliber per athleticism of any wing player in the league. <laughs> like, I think he has oh, the greatest ratio of that. Like, legitimately good. To, he's the only legitimately good perimeter defender who's just like him and Kyle Anderson are like the two guys from like yeah. that have that greatest ratio, you know? Yeah. Okay. So two more points here. Uh, these can, these are just extension questions and we can run through them very quickly. Uh, Jalen Brown, they can offer an extension on a deal that starts at $34 million in October. Uh, Cause that'll be the timing in terms of when he's extension eligible. Uh, he can potentially get a deal for 40 million. If he waits, uh, you know, something in the 40 to 41 39 42 we don't know where the cap is eventually going to like settle in right whenever he's an actual free agent do we think i mean if you're boston you offer it 100 percent, and you say like look we want you to be the guy for us we want you to be a big part of our core if you're jalen brown are you willing to try to lock in or do you wait if i'm jalen brown i think i wait uh yeah because i think there's also i mean that that 40 percent that that 40 million dollar starting salary that you're talking about, which would be in 2024, 25, I think would be the first year of that new deal. That's the 30% max. And I do think there's a world where Jalen Brown, I mean, he's still 25. Like I do think there's a world where Jalen Brown just has some insane year. And all of a sudden he's hitting free agency in 2024 and he's super max eligible. And, and now all of a sudden we're talking about a $47 million starting salary. Yeah, and that is a huge point. difference from 34. So if I were Jalen Brown, I'm like, what, what, what crazy happenstance would have to happen for Jalen Brown not to get significant? Like 34 is a, that's like 25% of the cap ish of what the cap projects to be. Like that's yeah. that's way less than his max. Like what some some bad stuff would have to happen for Jalen Brown to hit free agency at age 27 and for him to only yeah. get 25% of the cap. So, yeah. so if, if I were him and, and he's, he's already gotten paid, you know, it's not like this is coming off of his rookie deal. He got a $100 million contract. I, 
I, I think he's in a position to where he can take a nice calculated risk, but yeah, you know, look, I never blame anyone. $34 million a year is a lot of money. So much money. So somebody it? says, <laughs> I, that's why I'm always like, when people criticize guys are like, Oh, he took the team friendly deal. He could have made more. It's like, dude, someone gave him $34 million a year. He's probably like, how different is my life going to be? If I make $40 million a year, $34 million yeah, a year, I'm doing just fine. <laughs> this isn't the Ozzy Albies deal where he took like seven years, 42 million or whatever for the Braves. Like, right. uh, you know, Jalen be making 34 a year, <laughs> not over right. seven years. Like, exactly. He's probably like, I'm yeah. doing just fine. And you just want to lock it up, make it a sure thing, protect against injury. Like I, I never blame a player for taking the security. It's much easier said than done like to me the most badass i mean i know you're a baseball fan because and you just dropped that one like the most badass move that's happened in sports in the last three months is the yankees offering aaron judge a seven-year 210 million dollar extension and judge saying nah nah i'm 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 out i don't need it i'm just gonna hit free agency and now he literally (laughs) might break the home run record like that and and he could get 300 million and it's like that is that is the ultimate move, you know? So it's, it's, that's, that's a tough move to make what Aaron Judge did. Like, I would have just been like, probably give me the 210. So, so my advice and my actions might be different, but he, he has an outside chance to, like, he could be a Supermax eligible guy. It's not impossible, but the guy won't be Supermax. As much as we love Grant Williams here on this podcast. He won't be super max eligible. What do we think an equitable deal for Grant Williams is? Yeah, I was wondering that. Um, four fifty, like something like the Robert Williams deal. Like, I I was I gonna say, yeah. I mean, a lot of those centers get that kind of deal. Robert Williams, uh, Wendell Carter Jr. got four for fifty. Daniel Gafford yeah. got three for forty. Um, that's that's kind of the market with that. I think something around the mid-level exception annually probably seems fair, but Grant Williams is getting better. So sometimes guys like that don't take the extensions. You see, yeah, you see them just want to play it out in uh, in restricted free agency. So I could see that happening. But Boston is look, Brad Stevens, the executive, has shown that he likes. He clearly finds value in extensions. Like he extended Robert Williams, he extended Marcus Smart. He extended Josh Richardson for a year before he traded him. So he he clearly likes the value in in extensions. Locking um, these guys. So in. maybe the, yeah. Yeah. And and look, the smart extension looked great. And the Rob Williams extension, basically every move he's made looks good. Um I, including those. I wonder if the number well, is it like 450, 455, something like that. I wonder if that's the number for him. Uh but let's move on. Let's talk the Brooklyn Nets. Uh the Brooklyn Nets are in a weird spot because I guess we don't know what's happening with Kyrie because we never know what's happening with Kyrie Irving. He has a $36 million player option. Uh, there are a number of different avenues he could kind of go. Like they could look at an extension. He can decline the player option and they can offer him like five years, $250 million. Like what the fuck do you do with Kyrie Irving? Do you just offer it and like pray that this goes well? Honestly, I have no idea. My, I think my, they're like backed into a corner where like they almost have to. 
retain him in some oh, way. It's just like, they what is don't, the number? They don't almost have to retain him. I don't know what the number is going to be, but they don't almost have to retain him. They do have to retain him. That's why I like, all right, my, my strongest Nets take is if you aren't willing to bring Kyrie back because of all of the stuff that happened this past season and because you worry about what Kyrie the person, having Kyrie the person around your team might do to the rest of the team, and that makes you not willing to bring Kyrie back, then why in the world were you so unwilling to trade him this season when everyone who watched your team knew that you weren't going to be a title contender. Like you were, you were completely, they got off to a good start without him and they were completely falling off for the whole season. The defense was a huge problem. Uh, they, they, they did not, they were the seven seed. No one wanted to play except like, I mean, I guess teams tried to avoid them, Milwaukee and, and, and Boston. And, and those teams were all trying to, you know, avoid them in the first round and and they were shuffling around trying to avoid Brooklyn but like Brooklyn should have been able to self identify like we're not we don't have the defense to be a title team and we we have the offensive talent but not necessarily at the top but not necessarily the compliments and there were just so many flaws like why would you be so stringently unwilling to trade him in February and yet come the off season, just be willing to let him walk. I, I, maybe the answer yeah, is that I wanted to trade going to exactly. Well, I think it's, you I think it's more that they're back. just not going to let him walk. Yeah. So, so let's assume that they bring Kyrie back. Let's assume it's an enormous number and they're a tax team still. So they have all of the uh, typical avenues that a tax team has. What free agents, if you're Brooklyn, do you look to bring back out of Nick Claxton, Bruce Brown, you know, any of the veterans, Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, etc.? cetera? Um, who are you looking to bring back out of that group? Are you willing to pay the number to bring back Nick Claxton and Bruce Brown, given that those numbers might be a little bit bigger than what you were paying them previously? Well, you better be because they don't really have players like they have, they have so many guys who are up like they have they have what yeah. six guys on their roster not including Kyrie something like that uh six or seven yeah it's seven not seven guys they have they have very few guys so so you better be willing to pay to bring those guys back because unless you can convince a few veterans who who think they have a chance to win a title with you to come on for the minimum or something like that, or you can swing an excellent trade or something like that. You don't really have resources beyond the tax level. You got the tax pyramid level. You got minimum the minimum contract guys, and that's about it. So, are you going to do better than Bruce Brown? Are you going to do better than Nick Claxton? Uh, I think. Probably not. Bruce Brown is a good player who can help you win. And and Claxton, I think, is a is a nice rim diving, finishing, shot blocking center who can who can who can help you, especially during the regular season. Um there are some guys who who I feel like I don't know. I maybe they can convince a cheap vet or two to come and hey, come play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie and Ben Simmons and and help us win a title. Like PJ Tucker has a player option 
I don't know what he's going to do. You think he picks that up? It's like seven million. I, do. I don't know what he's going to um, do. But it, like, look, he's going to be able to get more from Miami than he is from Brooklyn at seven. Yeah, I mean, look, Brooklyn seven. So, right, Brooklyn, Brooklyn's cases come come win with us. Like, I think Kyle Anderson is too expensive for them. Uh, I think like they have to go defense with the guys who they bring in. That's that's yep. really the thing. Like the defense is a huge problem. Uh, okay, another another baseball analogy for you. Whoo, uh, we're going nuts here. Let's do it. All right. The team in New York with the most players between 65 and 68 is the Knicks. The team in New York with the second most players between 65 and 68 is not the Nets, it's the Yankees. That's a problem. Oh it should be the Nets. <laughs> that, Feels like it should probably be the Nets. <laughs> they they just don't have any wings like uh, beyond Kevin Durant. Like they just, they don't have wings who can step up and guard big wings, which is why I mentioned like a PJ Tucker type, like just someone who can go guard a big wing can guard somebody on the perimeter. Like maybe they just sign Aaron judge. Maybe that's the move. So you can get a six, seven guy on your team. Uh, You know, I, I wonder if they just like take some swings at like, Oh, maybe just take like a small swing on Derek Jones, Jr who has done well in sure. like a small ball five roll and he's, he's fallen off. He's, he's not what like Portland was when they gave him that, that big contract, but just like, it's not going to move the needle. But if you put Derek Jones jr. With really good players, you know, he might look a lot better because he can, he can cut and he's athletic as hell and he can guard. And, uh, you know, maybe you just make some swings like that and bring in energy guys and, and, and you hope it works. And then you hope that, Ben Simmons can come out and just look like Ben Simmons. So, so they have, they've, I think nine guys on the roster looking at their roster. Now Um, they have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and assuming that Kyrie is there, right? Like let's, right. I wasn't counting Kyrie. Okay. Yeah. So let's assume Kyrie is there for the time being. Right. Uh, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, and Joe Harris, that's four. Seth Curry is five. Patty Mills is six. Cam Thomas, Dayron Sharp, Kessler Edwards is nine. So, well, Mills, Mills has the player option. And I assume he probably picks that up given the way that he finished last season. Right. That would make sense to you. I wouldn't be surprised if we picked it up. I just, I, I don't, I couldn't say for sure what he's going to do. They I think if he hits the have, market, he probably gets like the same contract, to be honest. They also have a couple of $11 million trade exceptions, which is somewhat interesting. They have the $11 million one from the Spencer Dinwiddie trade uh, last July. They have another $11 million one that they created in the James Harden deal. So I wonder if they can utilize one of those maybe. I don't think they use both just because that roster gets exorbitantly expensive otherwise. But they have those two. They have the mid-level. They have some resources to be able to go out and get guys. It's just trying to find the guy that makes sense for them I think is very difficult because it basically has to be someone who is a good defender who has a reasonable chance to shoot it. A guy that like kind of popped to me a little bit. If you decide you don't want to pay Nick Claxton, 
11 million dollars a year right could you get mo bamba for six and try him as like a floor spacing big uh that can protect the rim and you can utilize him that way but the problem is i would rather retain nick claxton and then be able to use the mid-level on a mo bamba right or on someone else i'm sorry not on mo bamba um because that just makes more sense to me but I mean, if, if you decide you don't want to give Claxton that kind of money, I wonder if that's one that like is an interesting upside flyer with a position that they need. I like the Mobamba fit with Ben Simmons out there. I mean, you're obviously going to have shooting if you have Kyrie and you have Joe Harris and you have Kevin Durant, but having two just like paint dwellers, a paint dweller with Ben Simmons makes it tough. So I like that fit. The problem is Mobamba is restricted. And if I'm Orlando and somebody offers Mobamba six million a year, first of all, you you don't really see like an offer sheet at six million a year. They probably have to turn that into a sign and trade to entice Orlando just to rescind his qualifying offer in that case, kind of like we've seen with a bunch of other restricted free agents in the past. But like that would be tough because now all of a sudden mm-hmm. uh they're hard capped. And now you they that team is I haven't done the math on it, but that would they got to be real closer over the apron because they have such an expensive contract. So that's really t- real, such an expensive salary team salary. So, so that's really difficult too. And if I'm Orlando, it's then Mo Bamba is 6 million. I'm just, I'm just matching it. It's a guy who I drafted in the top 10 only a few years ago and he had a nice year last year. I just, yeah. I'd be happy to bring back Mo Bamba for that price. I've just kind of assumed that they're not going to offer him a $10 million qualifying offer because then Bamba is going to take the qualifying offer. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's what happens. Because that, like, that's, that's what Mo Bamba should do. But Mo Bamba probably wants to like have a real like starting role next year as well, right? Yeah, you might be right. Like, maybe, I mean, he was maybe he was good. It's going to be like a last year. yeah, that's going to be like a real game of chicken there. Like, because I, I don't know that. Huh? Maybe that is it. Maybe it is just like a ten million dollar qualifying offer deal with Bamba, and like that ends up being what he does next year. Maybe. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate paying Mo Bamba ten million dollars for one year. That'd be fine. He's he blocked shots last year. He shot what did he shoot from three? 38? Like he yeah. Mo Bamba does he he did stuff last year. He was he was good. He I thought he played the best basketball of his life by far. Well yeah, and they can't get hard caps, so they can't bring him in a sign and trade either. So yeah, that might not work actually. Man, I'm trying to I'm trying to ideate here. It's really it's tough because the free the free agent market is just lackluster. It's not great. And they're probably going to want some actual like dudes essentially. Um man, this is this is hard. It's a, it's actually a difficult concept to try and find guys that make sense for them. Uh cuz you well, have that's to find why guys it comes it comes back to end. right. It comes back to like they're they're probably going to feel like they have to bring back their guys, right? Yeah, they probably do. This is as good yeah. of a case as any for them. Yeah, to bring I mean, the thing with their trade exception too that's worth that's worth noting is the reason they have that Spencer Dinwiddie trade exception is because they they didn't really want to take anybody back in the Spencer Dinwiddie sign in trade, and the reason they didn't want to take anybody back was because the roster was so expensive that just like they were like four x into the tax, so every dollar they took on. They had to pay an extra four dollars in tax dollars. So just bringing back, like, you know, uh, 
you know, uh, Montrez Harrell and his $9 million salary and the deal would have been like a $45 million expense. And if they were not willing to pay that many tax dollars in a season when they thought they were by far the favorites to win the title, I'm just, I'm, I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder how willing they are going to be to pay tax dollars, uh, you know, at an extreme rate in a season where they're coming off as the seven seed. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Uh, man, they just need to find defensive identity. That's it, man. Like that, that that's what they got to find. They have to find a defensive identity. Maybe Ben Simmons brings it. Maybe it's like Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant. You find like a true big to play with those guys during the regular season. And then you close playoff lineups with Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons. Uh, I don't know. It feels tricky to me though. Yeah. I mean, look, Ben Simmons was one of the two or three best defenders in the league two years ago. So that's, that's a, uh, he can change a defense completely on his own. He's one of the very few guys in the league who can change a defense completely on his own, you know? So, yeah. yeah, maybe we're just, dis- I mean, we haven't really discussed that their number one acquisition next year is Ben Simmons. Yeah, That's totally. the guy. <laughs> yeah. You know? He's going to be hopefully good. Like we, we hope Ben will be good. Uh, Brooklyn's in a weird spot. Let's move to the Knicks. All of these teams in the Atlantic, except for Toronto, are in very weird spots. Um, the Knicks. So I, I sent you a, a long list of things with the Knicks because there's so much up in the air, it feels like. Julius Randle uh, exists. What do we do with Julius Randle if you're a New York Knicks fan? I think it's hard to see them moving him. Just because... Okay. So they gave him the four year, they gave him the four year extension last year. It'll it's it's $106 million at least. There are some incentives in there as well, but it's it's about $106 million. And it's not as bad as it sounds off the bat. Like his his salary is like, I don't think it's gonna be, it's right on the edge of the top fifty in the NBA. Yeah. So a hundred twenty-six million dollars a year isn't what it used to be. But but it's I think it's viewed as net negative value contract at best, a net neutral contract and the extension doesn't even kick in until next, next season. So, I mean, if you're in the Knicks, you're coming off a 37 win season, you know, they, they talk about how much they value the, the young guys that they have and how much the front office values the young guys. And they do have a large quantity of young guys. I mean, if you include Mitchell Robinson, who's a free agent, they have eight guys, 24 and under right now. And I just, I don't see a way where they throw in one of their first round picks to offload Randall or throw in a manual quickly to offload Randall. Like I just, I don't see that happening. If you trade him now, you're trading him at his lowest value. So I think their best chance, even if they desperately want to trade him, I think the best way to do it, unless they just find someone who loves Julius Randall and thinks they can turn him around. I think the best way for them to play it is just to rehab his value internally. And, and then you know, maybe trade him when he's at his peak. That was the original plan when they signed Julius Randle. It was, he's going to be really good. And then when he's really good, you can flip him and get some stuff for him as part of this whole reconstruction of the team. And then it turned out he was so good. They were like, we're just going to extend him. 
And now they're, we're back to square one where if they can make him really good, they can flip him. So I guess here's my thing. I, I don't think Julius Randle would take much to get rid of. Like, I think there are teams that would take Julius Randle. He's, like you said, not a net negative. He's like a pretty net neutral value and is productive. Like, say whatever you will about Julius Randle, he is productive. And he is like a good basketball player. And good basketball players going forward in the NBA make way more than $26 million. So, I don't know, man. I... I I wonder if the hate on the Randall contract, and maybe this is me having watched like 15 Knicks games last year instead of 82 Knicks games, right? And Knicks fans are probably like, no, the accumulative experience of watching Julius Randall is incredibly frustrating. But I, I, I feel like we've gone maybe a little bit too far in the hate on Julius Randall. Like he didn't have a great year, but he's still good at basketball. Like I, I, I don't know. I think someone would take a bet on him. Here's here's the problem with Randall. He his shot selection is extremely concerning. Uh he's so jump shot reliant and when he won most improved, it was in part because all of a sudden he became this awesome three-point mid-range shooter. And last year that completely fell off. I mean, he was the worst mid-range shooter in the league of anybody who took as many mid-range shots as him. And he was one of the worst three-point shooters in the league of anybody who took as many as him. Uh, I believe if I forget what the qualifiers are on this, uh, but amongst like basically guys who have a normal or, or higher usage who you can consider like rotation guys, I believe he had the second worst true shooting percentage in the NBA ahead of only Jalen Suggs, who's not the only guy you want to be ahead of. I mean, he really struggled offensively as a rookie. Uh, he yeah. just was – his shot selection makes him so inefficient. And part of that I do genuinely believe is because the Knicks floor spacing is, is awful. I mean, their crunch time offense was, was Julius Randall brush screen and then ball handler tosses it into him 18 feet in the high post. And he's just going to line him up and then he's going to maybe shoot a step back or, or take one dribble in and, and, and shoot a, 12 foot step back. And that's just kind of what the crunch time offense became. Um, and I, so I think, wait, I guess here's, yeah. here's my thing. So to, to combine the two teams you used to cover, right? Sure. Why does Washington not move Kyle Kuzma and Rui Hachimura for him? If we're talking like purely the Knicks are just trying to get rid of the contract, right? Cause Washington is trying to win right now with, whatever they have for reasons far beyond my comprehension. Um, you have this fit with Christoph Porzingis, which is the guy that people have wanted Julius Randle to play with forever. Does this not make sense? I mean, my answer, because Kyle Kuzma had a better year than Julius Randle last year. Kyle Kuzma, I think he's a much more competent defender. But are you really going to bet on that to continue, I guess? Like, if you can find a situation for Julius Randle that makes sense for Julius Randle next to Bradley Beal, next to Kristaps, is Julius Randle just not a better player than Kyle Kuzma? I think Randle next to Kristaps is, you know, ironically, I think Randle next to Kristaps is uh, 
is a really good fit for him. You know, part of the reason why I mentioned the shot selection and the fit, and I mentioned the offense, part of it is that he plays next to a rim diving center for almost all of his minutes. The Knicks don't play right. him next to a five and they don't have a, the closest thing the Knicks have to a stretch five is when Taj Gibson goes to the corner and he took like 13 corner threes this year. And that's the closest thing the Knicks have to a stretch five. I mean, Mitchell Robinson might be the single most paint dwelling player in the NBA. And when I say paint dwelling, I don't mean the percentage of his shots that come from the paint, which is 100, by the way. I mean, like the percentage of time. And that's not an exaggeration. I'm not being like, oh, it's ironically 100. No, he literally takes 100% of his shots in the paint. And he took like three shots outside of the restricted area last year. And they were still in the paint. Uh, But I don't even mean that. I mean, time spent in the paint. He just doesn't really stray from it because – they put such an emphasis on him being an offensive rebounder as well because he's an excellent offensive rebounder and he just hangs there so he'll like it's almost like he plays offense the same way that like brooke lopez plays defense where he just like 29s the paint on offense and julius right. randall is never driving lane and this affects rj barrett too so the knicks offense is schematically flawed no question and playing next to like a guy like chris Stapps, i think would naturally make Julius Randle way better. He goes at the rim in the rare moments when he doesn't play next to a, a a paint dwelling five. He goes at the rim way more. The numbers bear that out. Like he goes to the rim almost twice as much when he doesn't play next to one of those ring diving centers. So I think you're right. He would be better, but I mean, why wouldn't I do that if I were Washington? Because if you resign Bradley Beal to a 250 million, $245 million contract. And you have Julius Randall there as well. And you have Chris Stapps there as well. You're kind of locked in. And I think you're locked into a roster that is not getting you. Oh, let me anywhere. be clear. This is, this is absolutely not what I would do. I would move all of these guys. If I was Washington, like I would have moved them two years ago, but even I, if I, I put myself, <laughs> even if I put myself into Ted Leonsis's mind and I was like, you have to resign Bradley Beal because that's what we do in Washington. If we get an all-star, we bring him back. And, and that's the way that Ted Leonsis thinks, even if I were that. And I, and I, 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 I I cosplay as Ted Leonsis right now. I I I still don't need to lock myself into that because that's an organization that just wants to make the playoffs from an ownership perspective, no question. But I don't think that just gets you into the playoffs, to be honest. And and defensively, I think you potentially have a massive issue because Randall was just like he was a real oh, he's terrible defensively, real horrible problem. last year defensively. He was much better so two like- years ago, but last year was a real problem. Look, I, I'm just trying to come up with like ideas for a bad situation in Washington. Yeah, I mean, do you like, think again, do you think Portland bites? What I would do if Portland ah. misses out on Jeremy Grant. So it's hard for Portland because Portland can't take him into the trade exception because right. his contract's a little bit too big. Mm-hmm. I think it's easier for them for guys that are under twenty million dollars. So or like right around, I, I forget what the exception's exact number is, but twenty point like, nine million. Yeah, like Grant fits like exactly into the exception. Yeah, somehow. Grant makes like $9,000 less. It's perfect. Yeah. So like I think it's harder for them in this situation to go for Randall. I don't mind it. Like if I was them, I would probably rather have Julius Randall than Yusuf Nurkic, I think, because I think he's just better than Nurkic and Nurkic has the injury questions. I think I would rather have Randall than Nurkic going forward. 
but would I rather have Randall at what, what is it? It's like twenty six. Yeah, it's about twenty six. It's it's a hundred six million guaranteed over four years. So, uh, you know, twenty six and a half over Nurkic at seventeen. Maybe it is for three years. I, I don't know. Like I'm just spitballing on Nurkic as well. But like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think if you have to, if you're trying to keep Damian Lillard happy. You know, Danny LaRue and I talked about last time, like if you're Portland, you're trying to spin your wheels to essentially get the team sold. Like, what do you do there? I don't know. I think that's a hard one. I, I don't know what they do. With what Randall, if, but obviously what if he, what if he, the summer. I have not thought about this at all, to be clear. Uh, what if he goes to like Utah in a Rudy Gobert trade? Mitch Robinson doesn't come back. Mitchell Robinson doesn't come back. So you're doing Rudy for Julius Randall. You need to throw in more salary. Those don't match. Oh, and you probably have to throw in RJ too, because you're taking a net neutral contract for a guy who's awesome. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you would throw in RJ if you were trading for for Gobert. I think you would make up for it with I mean the Knicks have they have all their own first round picks. They have Dallas's 2023 pick. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. I think you just throw in probably a couple of picks. You got to make up some more salary, but they have a bunch of expirings. They got Kemba on nine million expiring, Burks on ten million expiring, uh, Noel yeah. on nine million expiring. I mean, you can get there with those expirings. You can get to the Gobert salary, and then you throw on picks. Or and if Utah doesn't want picks, they want to be good now. They want to win with Donovan Mitchell. Then you give them you give them uh, Randall. You bring in a third team. You send the third team those picks, and that third team maybe sends something else to Utah. And you don't have to give up those expirings. You can use the expirings to bring in another piece. I think I like that. What do, so like here, here's the other question I wanted to ask you. If you're the Knicks, do you prioritize getting a center? Because Obi Toppin was really good to end the year last year. And while, you know, plays is like a John Collins type where he's like floating between the four and the five, right? What do you do with Obi Toppin is what I'm struggling with now. Uh, and how does he fit into this mix? Because Obi Toppin, like, I mean, you'll know the numbers better. I think the numbers are like he averaged like 20 and nine, uh, like in his starts or something. Like it was like something crazy. When he played a lot of minutes, Obi Toppin was really good. And I don't know how to like, you know, square the circle with the Knicks right now. They just have a lot of like pieces that don't fit together. I wonder if they all would fit together if they just kind of like reset and don't keep Mitchell Robinson and then move Julius Randle. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I would with, with Obi Toppin, they have to give him some kind of opportunity. His last five games of the year, he dropped 20, he dropped 20, he dropped 19, he dropped 35, and then he dropped 42 when he finally got an opportunity. And and I'm not big into overanalyzing end of season numbers from totally meaningless games, but man, he, he is so active. He's, he's a really interesting yeah. player and he's difficult to evaluate because, you know, I think, I think basketball fans and, you know, I, okay, here's what I'll say about this. So I had a scout tell me once, and I thought it was so well said that he said, whenever he watches a player who, uh, whenever he's like scouting players, he said he has to remind himself that all scouts have a bias toward players who look the part. They have 
and we were mm-hmm. talking about um I forget who we were talking about at the time, but it was you know he 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 was referring to six eight athletic flows well yep. big hands broad shoulders you know looks the part right and and all scouts have a bias towards looks the part and he says he has to remember that he has that bias too because ultimately if you don't put your actual talents into skills it doesn't matter how athletic you are if i if i ask you how good is this player and you say oh he's really good he's athletic and he jumps high and he's fast and he's quick and those aren't skills those are things that you can use to create skills and with obi it's really interesting i don't know if he's the best example of this but i think he's kind of the exact opposite of that he's an unbelievable athlete i mean he literally won the dunk contest but with obi he Look, at least at this point, it's not a three-point shot. Well, he's, shot he's short shot arms and he's kind of stiff, to be honest. Right. He's he's not a three-point shooter. He his thing, he doesn't have flexible hips. That's his thing. He doesn't yeah. have the flexible hips, which is which stunts his defense. You you need to, if you're going to be a good player in the NBA, you need to have at least one, probably two, hopefully three, of three-point shooter, can create your own shot, or can play defense at an average to above average level. And right now, Obi does not consistently have any of those three things. And yet you watch him play and you're like, that dude can play. He is yeah, totally. He he's the opposite of it. You know, he's 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 a unique sort of player. You know who I think he reminds me of? Um when I watch Larry Nance, I feel similarly. Where I'm like, that dude yeah. is just so active. He is always doing something and it's beyond just playing hard yeah larry has more intuitive uh defensive knowledge and i think does move it he he has much better hip flexibility which allows him to be better defensively but i understand where you're going with this continue yeah i mean just just i think obi has that same sort of intuitiveness as a screener though i mean he is an extraordinary screener and cutter uh and and i think in some ways they, they just kind of use him in the corner. Like, man, if they could just use him as a screener and roller, he could be amazing at that. Oh um, yeah. You need to, this is, so this is maybe there's no way the Pacers would take Julius Randall. Do you think? Right. Cause I wonder if you could do honestly, Miles Turner and then pair him with Obi top and release Mitchell Robinson out into the wild. Um, and do something like that. Yeah. I mean that, and, and look, Turner is the ideal guy next to Julius Randall. I've written that. Yeah. Like he's the ideal guy because Tom Thibodeau, the thing with the, that this all comes back to is that. Well, t- I'm saying, I'm saying that you don't use Turner with Randall. I'm saying, you Oh, sure. Use Turner with Toppin. I mean, sure. yeah. If you're Indiana, honestly, interesting too, right? Like, you, you know, maybe, maybe Malcolm Brogdon for Julius Randall or something like that, but you just signed Brogdon to the extension. Like, I, I don't know if you do that either. Yeah. I think you might be able to get better than that for Brogdon too. Also, it depends on what yeah, you want totally. back. If you're Indiana, like, do you want a, you want picks and young players or do you want a player who you can compete with? Like I, if I'm yeah. running Indiana, I don't necessarily need all picks, but I want somebody on Tyrese Halliburton's timeline, you know? I want well, I, I wonder if bro with him. If they end up at six and they end up with Jaden Ivy or something like that, or maybe they move up to four or something like that, they'll they could do something like, um, 
I don't know. I, I threw out like a weird one. Like if they really, truly were absolutely in love with Jaden Ivy, because I really like Jaden Ivy. Like, could you do something like Duarte and six for four? Because you think Jaden Ivy is like a future all-star and, you know, as good as Chris Duarte is, and he's very, very good. If you can get a future all-star that you think has that kind of ceiling, you do it. Um, and then you pair Jaden Ivy with Tyrese Halliburton in the backcourt that's like the most fun combination I can think of uh, for a backcourt, really. Uh, and maybe then it's like Malcolm Brogdon for Julius Randle and like a young guy or something like that with the Knicks. And you're kind of cooking with gas at that point. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting one. The, thi- the thing with Obi that I think could, could be just the move if you're going to bring back somewhat of a similar roster is you could just go into the season with a starting center and and I mean you'll have Jericho Sims on the roster because he he showed some stuff as a rookie. I think he's yeah. going to be a nice. I think he's going to be a nice rotation player. But I mean you could just go into the season with no backup center. Say Obi Toppin's your backup center because they have to find minutes for him. Like he was the number eight pick. He was the number eight pick, and he hasn't gotten an opportunity because I, I was this is, I was getting into this that Tibbs believes that this is just his basketball ethos. He wants somebody to protect the rim on the floor at all times. And it doesn't have to be somebody who is paint dwelling, but the only rim protectors the Knicks have on their roster are guys who hang around the rim on offense. And I, I, I think Obi, the thing with Obi that's interesting is he's kind of a four defensively because he's not this rim protector, even though he can block some shots and he can get up there, obviously. Uh, but I think he might be better as a five on offense and you can just run pick and rolls with him. And he's this insane lob threat and he's a really good screener and he's a smart screener and he's a smart cutter. Like he is really one of the best cutters in the game and is tremendous in transition. Like he could run other fives out of the gym. If you made a five guard him, because he is like, there are a lot of guards and just ball handlers who can control the pace of a game. You put them in the game and they just control the pace of the game. The game speeds up because they speed up. There are a lot of them. There aren't very many off ball guys who control the pace of a game, yeah. especially off ball reserve players. And if you put Obi Toppin in a game, like the Knicks pace, it's just like they go from being the slog of a team with Randall out there to like, look at them flying. And it's like, just cause Obi Toppin just, goes like he's one of the fastest bigs in the league and like i just they gotta find some way you can't draft a guy at at eight and play him 15 minutes a game when he's actually shown promise and never give him an opportunity and then have him come in for a third year give him the same role and then not know what to do when he's extension eligible the next season and heading into restricted free agency like you have to know like is he is he a good third big is he a good starter like you they cannot say for certain what he is and they should have a better idea of what he is okay so we spent hour on three teams before and we're not done with the knicks because the other three things with the knicks are do they make a full court press to jalen brunson just hired rick brunson what, what are we doing? Uh, it, it seems pretty obvious to me that they would like Jalen Brunson if they can facilitate it with Dallas. Like, am, am I wrong about that? No, I think they would like Jalen Brunson. I, I don't know if it'll, I, don't, I mean, he could just go back to Dallas. Mark Cuban was talking at the end of totally. the year, like they're, they're going to make him a, a formidable offer. 
I mean, I think if he doesn't go back to Dallas, like, you know, maybe he's just frustrated. Dallas could have extended him. Sounds like he wanted an extension. The extension would have been way less than he's actually going to get on the open market now. So he's lucky that he didn't get that extension. Um, but, but I don't know, maybe he's upset. He didn't get the extension and he goes, but like, I think Dallas is going to make him a very formidable offer. The Knicks don't have cap space, but if they really want to open up cap space to sign Jalen Brunson, they can do it. Like they can get up to a little more than $20 million of room for the off season. Like they can, you can just Burks is on expiring. Noel's on expiring. You can just find some place to dump those guys. You can stretch Kemba Walker and you've opened up a little more than $20 million a room and, and you can make a, a, a good, fair, legitimate offer that Jalen Brunson is going to respond to. So, uh, you know, I don't know what he's going to end up getting. I think somewhere in the realm of $20 million a year sounds sounds pretty good, but he just had a hell of a postseason. So it might be more. going to be more than 20 Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was kind of wondering. So Oklahoma City has been kind of trying to figure out like – you know, what do we use this expiring cap space bomb that we have on our team uh, with? They also want to maintain flexibility. Do you think the Knicks would be willing to move one of those Dallas first rounders that are going to be a low first round pick at the end of the day? Because Luca is as good as Luca is. Um, along with like Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel. So you're essentially shedding like $19 million and the going rate for shedding that amount of money tends to be a late first round pick. I wonder if Oklahoma city could do something like that with that open space. Well, the problem with that is the timing because that, that open space with Oklahoma city expires once free agency starts. I mean, they would have to do that at the draft uh, and at the draft, uh, no one's ever tampered in the NBA. No one's ever hired anyone's dad to be an assistant with their team. <laughs> so they're just going to have no idea of Jalen Brunson's interest in signing with them. I mean, if the Knicks, maybe this is the whole reason they hired Rick Brunson is for because like you can't tamper tampering purposes. Yeah. You can't yeah. tamper. No, my theory is no one knows Rick Brunson's salary. I mean, my theory is if you really want to tamper, you make Rick Brunson the highest paid assistant in the history of the NBA. And for those who don't know, the Knicks just hired Jalen Brunson's dad, who's a longtime Tibbs assistant. Was yeah, like he's been like in multiple spots with Tibbs. Like this, he's been a Tibbs favorite for a very like a long time. Family member hire. Yeah, and there have been Stephen Bondi from the Daily News reported that they were they were trying to get Brunson like like weeks ago or months ago, maybe even. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, if you really want to, if you really want to circumvent the cap, you pay Rick Brunson like $20 million a year to be your assistant coach. And then you sign Jalen Brunson. And then you just sign Jalen Brunson for the mid-level and you just have Rick funnel the money to sign. What? I can't buy my son a house. I make a great living. Can't buy my son a car. Can't take my son to dinner. Just have Rick funnel the money. Put it in a trust. Yeah. It's it's the move. I don't know why everyone doesn't do it. like a college hiring a family member to get the kid as a it is you know, it's it's uh <laughs> there were there were multiple people who hit me up when they hired rick brunson and they were like that is so college it's just so college <laughs> so it's so okay. like it's so like mizzou hiring michael porter jr's dad 
Yeah, it is. It's kind of exactly it. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, look, I don't know if they're going to sign Jalen Brunson. I think it, I understand why they would consider it. Uh, RJ Barrett extension number. Do you think that they can get something done here? Or do we think that RJ tries to push for the max and doesn't get the max? Like what, what is an equitable RJ Barrett number? Yeah. I mean, full disclosure, I'm actually working on a story about a bigger story about RJ extension stuff and, and, and talking to a lot of people trying to get an idea of his market. Um, I think RJ will push for the max. I do. Um, I don't see why the Knicks would offer the max. And, and I think, look, I think, I think RJ has a chance to become a really good player. Like I think he has a chance to become an all-star, but you look at the guys who get max contracts and rookie extensions and they're just like, they tend to be the, the Trey Youngs of the world. The, the guys who are like, this guy is already there. And I think RJ has a chance to get there, but he's not, he's not there yet. Like he was, he had a 51% true shooting last year and we saw a lot of improvement from him in terms of his decision-making and um, just kind of evolution of who he is stylistically. He had a very, very, very conscious awakening right around new year's where he decided, you know what? Like I'm not, I'm not a jump shooter. So I'm just going to play. He basically decided I'm just going to play like Jimmy Butler. I'm, I'm big. I'm really strong. I can just bully my way to the rim. He became obsessed with free throws uh, he, he texted his, his trainer or something on new year's Eve. He was in the midst of a big slump. He was like, I'm done with this. I'm going at the rim nonstop. And he took like 10 shots in the restricted area that night. And it just persisted. Um, he, I believe he took the third most shots in the paint per game after the new year, which is a large sample size. I mean, it's three and a half months in the entire league. Only LeBron and Giannis took more. So you look at that evolution you're like, that's pretty good. Like he, a guy being that self-aware, I think is a, is a great sign. And he got to the blind seven, seven and a half times a game during that period, which is an incredible number for a 21 year old. But it's, it's hard to justify giving him the max. You know, he scored 20 a game this year, but it's hard to justify giving him max when the efficiency numbers are that low. Also, when he's just going to be restricted and you can just say, okay, if you're, if you're a max player, we'll just, we'll just pay you when you're, restricted like normally he's the kind of guy who has to meet in the middle uh and and where the team says you know what fine well you get some more security knowing that you are you are locked into this number and you're going to make a whole ton of money for a really long time and we get to know that even if you blow up this year we don't have to pay you the maximum number that we have to pay you we we get you at a little bit of a discount and i think that's that's how that stuff tends to go i don't know how it's going to go I've heard comparisons to like the John Collins number. Um, they can't extend him for five years like John Collins got. I think they can only do four. They can only go five if it's a max deal. Um, but, you know, I've, I've spoken to some people. A lot of people have him in that like 25 a year number, which is well, well short of, of his max. So like that's that's the number that makes sense to me. It's almost like comparable to Jalen Brown, like based on a percentage basis of what Jalen is going to get like on the cap compared to when Jalen was uh, restricted or going into restricted free agency and extension eligible. Yeah. Like I wonder if like 25, 26 is the number and whether or not RJ takes that is up to him and we'll see where it goes. I don't know. It feels like one of those ones. It's a, it's a tough one. It's a very, very difficult one to figure out. Um, Mitchell Robinson, 
any thoughts on retaining him? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there were, you know, he was extension eligible, and they could offer him that same extension that that Dallas could offer Jalen Brunson, four for fifty-five. Um, I, I, I never got the sense that they were anywhere close on extension numbers. I don't know exactly. I think Mitch wanted, you know, that four for fifty-five. I don't know exactly what the Knicks were offering, but I, I never got the sense that they became close on an extension. And technically, they can still extend him until free agency starts. Um, that said, like I don't see Mitchell Robinson getting less than the mid level. Someone's giving him the mid level. Um, there, but but like there aren't very many room teams. The only room team that I really see as a possibility for him is is Detroit. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Detroit made a run at him. I wouldn't be surprised if Toronto was interested. They've they've kind of been on the prowl for for a center, and he's a, he's obviously a really good shot blocker and rim protector and rim diver. I think he'd make he'd make sense there. They they just love length and. Someone will want him, um, you know, and may, a, a, but I, it's kind of like what we were talking about with, with Grant Williams, to be honest. Like, I think he's somewhere in that range with what the other centers got four for 40, four for 45, you know, maybe 10, 12, 13 million a year. And, and maybe he ends up taking a, maybe the market craps out on him because he's a rim diving center. And sometimes it does that to those sorts of players. And he says, you know what? I'm going to bet on myself and do a one plus one at the, at the full mid level with somebody and try to hit restricted free or hit unrestricted free agency in 2023 and figure that out. Uh, but I do think uh, for the most part, like I don't see him making less than less than the mid level. Um, and, and I don't see why the Knicks wouldn't bring him back for the mid level, unless they were just like really concerned about his fit with Randall and RJ Barrett, which, which would be reasonable because offensively you just can't have that many guys inside the three point line and be really good. Right. Right. Yeah. It's hard. It's it's because you don't want to lose the asset for nothing, but like you can just move the asset at some point. So like, right. Exactly. And keep the guy. I'm a big believer on just, you got to keep the guy. Like, if you didn't, it's kind of like what I was saying about Kyrie. Like, if if you're just going to let him walk, you drafted this dude in the second round. He's 24 years old. He's a good player. It's not like he's not a good player. He's a good player. Uh, you can't just let him walk for for nothing. You know, I think you need to bring him back. And and if you get him for the mid level or 12 mil, like that's that's movable. You can you can then move off of that and get something else. Okay, let's go to the 76ers. I have no fucking idea what to do with the 76ers because <laughs> they have uh, James Harden, who is in this very strange spot. He can just opt in at $47 million uh, and he can sign a four year, $223 million extension, uh, which is an enormous number, which I put in the notes. God, no, that I sent to you. Uh, that seems like a bad plan. So ultimately, like, what's what's the compromise deal here? Like, the, the 76ers just are purely pot committed to Harden after acquiring him. Uh, it feels like, to me, the Chris Paul deal from last year with Phoenix is a good comparable of, like, hey, let's find a structure that makes sense. Let's reduce your cap number this year. Maybe give us some flexibility. Give you a bunch of money out longer term maybe not guarantee the last year and kind of go from there. I love the Chris Paul comparison. 
I love that. That's a great analogy, Samuel. You're very good at your job. I love that. That that makes Look a ton of it. sense. <laughs> that makes no. That makes that makes see, a ton see, of sense. I good that you say that now because I'm about to just throw some fucking nonsense at the wall in terms of trying to no, find a way to have a bunch of cap space. No, because here's the thing. I I have I have thought so much about what in the world is going to happen with James Harden this summer. I have no idea. Yeah, like no idea. I just, I have no. I'm confounded by this situation. I have no idea. I really don't. The only thing that I kind of feel strongly about is like, I've I've seen some people suggest like you could take the player option, forty seven million dollars, hit hit free agency next year, and then maybe get locked up to a max. It's like I would never do that if I were James Harden. I I would. I would take the long-term money right now if I were him. Cause if you pick up the player option and you do what you did, you know, this year, again, you're, you're making even less. Now you can, people can still look at you and say, ah, maybe it was the hamstring. Uh, maybe it was just an off year. Once it gets comfortable, the hamstring gets better and he, he gets in better shape. And all of a sudden maybe he's not the James Harden, but like the, the beauty of James Harden, and the greatness of James Harden was that he was one of the only guys in the league who could run a pick and roll without the pick. You know, his his isolations were not just one-on-one. They were basically a dude running spread screen and roll, but with the screener already spread. It was it was extraordinary watching him. And when he cannot be able to blow by average defenders, it takes the most important element of his game and just wipes it away. And I think some of this commentary about Harden is hyperbolic. He's not, not a good player. He's still a phenomenal passer and creator. And he's still, you know, got the excellent step back and uh, can still be a really good scorer. But I mean, I'm, I would be so concerned about giving him, anywhere close to that max, but Philly's kind of tied. And, and the problem is if somebody goes to James Harden and says, yeah, you're James Harden. Like, we'll, we'll give you the max. And then James Harden goes to Philly and is like, have another offer for the max. Like how's Philly react to that? Uh, Match. Like you kind of just have to match at that point, right? Like that that's I what's mean, so hard about this because at the end of the day, are we sure that another team doesn't max James Harden? I think they don't. I don't think there's another team out there that like has the money, but you can always make the money in today's NBA. Like you can figure out a way to like create the sign in trades, right? To like make it functional on some level. Like Miami could do something crazy, like offer a sign in trade to the Sixers for you know, X, Y, and Z, but the Sixers would then have to work with Miami on such a deal. Right. And if I'm the Sixers, I'm not working with Miami to facilitate a James Harden deal after I just had to work with them to facilitate a Jimmy Butler deal. Like, can you imagine Joel Embiid having like a fucking nightmare, <laughs> like fuel yeah. moment after all of that? Um, but it's hard for me yeah. to find the team that would give James Harden like a crazy amount of money, basically. So yeah, me too. I mean, I like fantasizing about Houston finding a way to do it. I mean, if we're if we're just they're, throwing they're not going sh- to, right? no, they're not going like, to. No, no. Yeah. If 
if we're just like throwing shit at the wall that has no basis in reality, I mean, Portland is above the cap, but they're strategically above the cap so they can keep that trade exception. Portland can dive well under the cap if they choose to and they renounce everybody and I, I I mean, if Portland wants to go absolutely insane and be like, let's do Harden Lillard and just make him a crazy offer, um, they they can they can do it if they really put their minds to it. They can find a way to to create that. So, yeah, no, I'm 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 with you. I don't think anyone's going to do it, but like, I this this I don't see a world. The Chris Paul number was he, he got thirty million a year, right? Yeah, I don't see him getting thirty million. Like his max number is like forty four, right? Forty two in that ballpark. It's probably it's probably it's one twenty. It's thirty five percent of one twenty two. What is thirty five percent of one twenty two from another team? No, forty two point seven. So is yeah, so, so forty three. So yeah. That's like a really big fall off, and I just honestly, even after he's played nowhere near like himself he still has the leverage because what so he so so like here so he can get from the sixers they could do what like a five-year 150 or something like that for one money like they can do something weird right yeah they could do that that just seems low to me that just seems low. Maybe I feel like 35. James Harden can get somebody to give him thirty more than thirty million a year. Maybe it's thirty-five then. Maybe it's maybe it's four years, a hundred and forty million, and then there's like a incentive laden structure that guarantees the fourth year or something. And, but like even then, like why does Harden accept that? Because then next offseason to beat that, all he has to do is three years, ninety five. But I guess that he locks in at one forty. Then it's. I don't think he will come in. I think he opts out, and I think he takes less on a longer term deal. Is where this goes, right? Yeah, and I've I've suspected and, and, that could be the case for a while. And let's be let's be clear on this too. James Harden has made $270 million in his career. Uh, he could end up at 310 if he were three, what would it be? 317 uh, if he opts into this contract. Maybe he's just like, fuck it. I want to shed this like thing that I have where people think I'm a losing player. I'm going to take $30 million a year or I'm going to take $28 million in the first year or whatever. And I'm going to take 26 in the first year or something like that. I'm going to let us build around Joel. We're going to move Tobias Harris into somebody's space. We're going to have another max spot potentially because they can get pretty fucking close. If James takes like between 26 and 30, uh, I have a deal that I want to throw out there that is real dumb eventually. Um, And maybe they just go for it. Maybe that's your move. Maybe your move is, you know, we have a max spot. We have Joel and Harden and Tyrese Maxey and you know a couple of guys. Let's go. Maybe. All I have to say is thank the basketball gods for Tyrese Maxey. Can yeah, you right. imagine the situation thing. they would be in if Maxey wasn't as good as he is? Yeah, it'd I mean, be real they bad. Would, they would be in so much trouble. I mean, here's the question. Here's why 
I mean, this is the implication when we say that Harden kind of just has the leverage here. What is their next best option? This free agency class is is not crowded with incredible players. We were just talking about Kyrie as if he was going to go back, even though Sean Marks has made some kind of off-the-cuff comments. I I don't anticipate Bradley Beal going there, though I know Beal is 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 good friends with, with Joel Embiid. They get along really well. Uh, but I, I just don't anticipate Beal going there. I think the Wizards are, are the heavy favorites to bring him back. I'm not betting my life that he's going back, but I – I think he's going back. Um, you know, I, I I don't think he would go to Philly. So I I don't know what what are your options. Now we're down to Kyle Anderson. Like what are what are what what do you, what are you gonna do? There's just not that much there, and you don't necessarily have the pieces to to turn around and and make a Donovan Mitchell trade. So. So what are you doing? Yeah. You kind of just know. you give him what he uh, wants. I think you almost have to give him what he wants, and then on top of it, like I was trying to come up with like crazy Tobias Harris, like dump him into space so that the Sixers can get max cap space, kind of thing. Because there there are real ways for them to do that with Harden and Joel. If Harden takes like thirty million dollars. Um, but the easiest one is Oklahoma city. And if you're Oklahoma city, why are you taking two more years of Tobias Harris? Right, that's kind of my thing. thing. Like, I, like you could yeah, do I was it, talking but like with, Philadelphia, uh, so Philadelphia doesn't have anything to offer them. Like it almost have to be like the would have to love T Stiebel or something like that. And like, they would have to love the 23 overall pick in a draft that they already have three first round picks in. I will say, Matisse Thibel is a very thunder player, just like athlete, long <laughs> defender who can't shoot. Oh God, put him in, put him in the Andre Robertson, Josh Eustace hall of fame. It would have been, he'd be perfect. He'd be the perfect Andre Robertson, Josh Eustace hall of fame. Oh my God. That is who are the other members of the Andre Robertson, Josh Eustace hall of fame. Pablo Cephalosha. Pablo Cephalosha. Honestly, like, sure. like uh, they Kevin didn't draft Irving him. Is but... in there. They drafted oh, him. Yeah. Like Darius Baisley. Oh. Baze, oh, yeah. that's a good one. Yep. Baisley's in there. You know, they didn't draft him, but I'm putting Jeremy Grant in there for sure. For they, sure. Yeah. They, they acquired him when he was like 21. And he's become this really, really good player. But when they got Jeremy Grant, he was, oh, he, he was exactly. They this, get these you know? guys right more often than they get them wrong. That's the crazy. Yeah, thing. it's like they, they have just a type. See it. They yeah. have a type, and they, they have a type. They see the guys that are going to work with that type. Um, yeah. uh, but but the thing is with OKC, I was talking, to, and I'll credit Andrew Schlecht with this, uh, our colleague at yeah. the Athletic, who uh, is incredible at his is job, and yes, yeah. he truly the best, and is so locked in with you know, you know, he's he's at those games every day. He's so locked in with OKC. I think he's as good of a source on OKC as you're going to get. And Andrew is just kind of convinced that they wouldn't do that. Uh, he thinks everybody is misevaluating how much they actually value uh, flexibility in the 2023 offseason. And Tobias Harris is what 36 million for the 23-24 season, which is the last year of his deal. Um, 
And so I think so, they, uh, yeah. they would have to get a lot back. Like, I think it would have to be more than just like Matisse. I think you're getting both those Philly picks they can trade. Like, I just, I don't, I don't know if it's happening. So I, I pitched this to Hollinger last night while he was humoring my bad ideas. Um, is it valuable for Oklahoma City to have Tobias Harris? Tobias Harris's last deal of his contract is 2023 24. Is it valuable for Philadelphia to have Tobias Harris on an expiring contract in the summer of 2023 with all of these picks right when they're probably trying to enter like the zone of competitiveness uh, in order to have Tobias Harris on an expiring deal that is $39 million and all of these picks to offer someone for a superstar? To pair with Shea Gilgis Alexander, Josh Giddy, the number two overall pick this year, et cetera. Maybe. Like, is that but, actually a more flexible thing for them than not having the salary? I guess. You might be right. And you just use them as a salary matcher. Yeah. I mean, that's a very that's, fair point. I, I, don't, I don't even know if it's a, like, it's, I don't even know that I believe that. Like, I don't even know if I think that that's like the most functional thing in the world for them, but they are a team that can pull off a trade for 80% of stars in the league because they have 97 first round picks coming in the next five years. Like they own half of the draft probably in 2026. Yeah. I just, I just want them to use, I just want them to use their picks to trade up for Bronny so we can see LeBron have to live in Oklahoma city. That's that's all I want. But like, I, I, that, that was kind of my question. And John was like, I don't think so. And I think that John's probably right for what it's worth. Like, I don't know if they'd want to pay $36 million this year for a first round pick and Matisse Thibel and then the ability to trade for a star. Maybe they would. I don't know. I mean, the, the thing is that Shea's contract kicks in. They're actually an over the cap team this year. Um, I, I would imagine that they're, probably pretty able to clear cap space the next year, just given what's on their roster and given everything that's there. Uh, so they might not need Tobias Harris to make that move. I just wonder if it might be, you know, less, less harmful than what you would think. Yeah. I mean, it's intriguing. The thing is, if they can dive enough below the cap, then it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't matter either way. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be horrified of the Tobias Harris contract if I could get a couple extra picks from it. The thing, the thing with them, Philly just can't offer that much, though. Is the thing. Well, it's also like at some point the picks don't really matter for them anymore. They become (laughs) only currency, and I don't. I'm I I really value picks, and I think it's like it's insane the amount of picks that they've stock stockpiled. I'm not saying that. It's just like you're only allowed to have 15 fully contracted players on a roster. So if you have 18 first round picks or 17 first round picks or whatever it is over seven years, like you cannot have all of those guys on your team. You can't do it. Like at some point the picks become solely currency and that is, that is it. And that's great. You can use that currency to go get a lot of stuff. And I'm sure that's their philosophy at some point when we get really a bunch enough, really good young guys, we can use four first round picks and trade for an awesome player who can come join them. And we could do Paul George all over again. And I'm, I'm sure 
that is part of the philosophy, but it's just like, that also means that at some point these, the two picks you bring in for Tobias Harris, which kills your, hurts your flexibility also just kind of makes it not as worth it too. So it's just, I think it's hard to incentivize for them. So let's move forward here again. Uh, the most likely outcome here seems like they just retain James Harden. They bring back Tobias Harris. They hope for internal improvement from Tyrese Maxey. They have James Harden, who they hope is more healthy than he's been previously. Um, you pair all those guys with Joel Embiid. You allow Danny Green to um, you know, return to this roster because he's a $10 million non-guaranteed deal. And you try to build around the margins. That's not exciting. Right. Like you would think Daryl's going to, tr- the, the reason that I keep trying to find the Tobias Harris thing is like, I feel like Daryl's going to try to swing for the fences and I just don't know how you do that in this free agency class, basically. Yeah. I I'm, I'm operating under the assumption, by the way, that Zach Levine is going back to Chicago. Um, so that's, yeah, that's another thing. I mean, look, I guess, if you're really swinging for the fences, I don't know. Maybe there is something with Bradley Beal out there. I think Beal is an incredible basketball fit with, uh, with Embiid. I don't know if he's an incredible fit next to James Harden. I think you're going to have a lot of problems guarding the perimeter in that case, but I don't really see an issue like not having a, your conventional go-to point guard with both those guys who can both totally run an offense. I just think defensively you're going to have problems. But and we yeah like I, I'm assuming there's no way that they can do all of this move Harris into cap space and then get Zach Levine that seems unlikely to me. Yeah, yeah, it does. So like the max stuff is nice, but there just aren't. Yeah. And they can't um, even, by the way, get hey, to a hey, what max. if they can get if, to like thirty thirty two or so something like what that. if Brooklyn is just like we don't feel comfortable giving Kyrie more than two years? Yeah, we'll max you out, but like we can't commit to you for more than two years after what's happened here. And then Philly was like, we will. Don't hurt like, my what soul. If, <laughs> being crazy. What if it's that? Do you want Mike Levin and Spike Eskin to just like absolutely lose their minds on a nightly basis on the Ricky? Like, isn't that what already happens? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I would feel bad for Mike. I, I can't. I can't allow this. <laughs> like Kyrie Look, and James Harden, take all it. the off-court stuff away, and Kyrie and Joel Embiid are like an unbelievable fit. Yes. Uh, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And I, then you I, get I, Kyrie I'm, and I'm Harden out. back together. You're perfect. <laughs> that You're that's great. where I'm at. Um, Long lost. So lives. Philadelphia. Philadelphia also has an option to extend Matisse Thybul this summer. I personally would not. Um, he very much, if you extend Thibel, you then likely can't move him in the year because of the poison pill provision that happens with extensions. So it just completely limits their flexibility if this thing like shits the bed, which, you know, non zero chance that happens. So I think you kind of can't really extend Matisse Thibel if you're Philly. Um, I think you need to be able to keep that. It's hard, man. They're in a weird spot. They have a lot of potential moves, but a lot of it is like dependent on James Harden figuring shit out and dependent on Tobias Harris figuring 
uh, maybe finding a landing spot for him. And I don't know that either of those things are feasible really. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on thigh bowl. The other thing is like he was, his, his flaws showed in the playoffs. I mean, I'm, I'm not like, yeah, I don't, I don't get the Matisse Thibel all defense thing where people keep voting him for that. Um, he's good on defense. Like there are a number of defenders I would much rather have. Yeah. I think he's really good on defense. I think he's really good on defense, but it, it, offensively his, his flaws just show. I mean, when you can't shoot to that degree and, and, and you struggle to score at that degree, people are going to poke at it in the postseason. And, and I think we saw that we saw teams helping off of him and, um, yeah, I'm with you on the. I mean, look, if you get him for a nice team friendly number, go for it. But but I'm with you. I don't think there should be a rush to extend them. Okay, our last team here, the Toronto Raptors. This is going to be our shortest conversation, just because this one's simple, right? Like the, the Toronto Raptors are not necessarily trying. By the way, Fred just like walked away. <laughs> no, I'm great. here. Like, I I, like I didn't want to disrupt the podcast. <laughs> I didn't want to disrupt the podcast. It's like uh, a million degrees in this office right oh now. Oh my god! And I, I had to it. do something about it. So the, I kind of Raptors... forgot that we were on video. It's if amazing. I'm being honest, <laughs> we've been talking forever. So, so here's the thing with the Raptors. It feels like to me that all of these other teams are looking at the Raptors roster and going, "Oh, they have OG and Anobi and." Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes and all these long forwards. And they're trying to see which one they can pry. They can pull out and they've settled on OG and Anobi and they're trying to drop little sprinkles of rumors out there to try and be able to get OG and Anobi out of Toronto. Uh, why the fuck would they trade OG and Anobi for anything less than like an awesome deal? I'm with you. He's got three years and 56 million left. It's an incredible contract. OG Ananobi's awesome. He's like an excellent player. And they, and they have built, I don't buy. Oh, Scotty Barnes makes OG Ananobi expendable. This isn't, this isn't the Pittsburgh pirates. Your team, Fred, where now where you have, (laughs) as sam knows this is not the pittsburgh pirates where just because you have a rookie a rookie first baseman who's really good then it's time to trade the first baseman ahead of him who makes more that's not how it works you cannot have enough good scoring awesome defending versatile wings on your team if you have Siakam and you have Ananobi and you have Scotty Barnes, you don't have a log jam. You have extraordinary depth. Uh, that team is as good as it is defensively because it never stops coming at you on the perimeter. They'll turn you over. The half-court offense is a problem, but they are good in transition, and they will turn you over, and they will just keep going. They have incredible speed and incredible length on the perimeter. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with Ananobi. So I, if I'm if I'm them, I'm like I'm thrilled about the depth that yeah. that I have there. And and Van Vliet is it, it fits into that identity incredibly as well, where he's just like 
he's basically Kyle Lowry 2.0 with the way he plays at this point. Just uh, especially defensively, he's just this stout, handsy, unbelievably strong. Like you can't post him up. Uh, he's just. I mean, they they have a lot of of yeah. of talent. It feels ridiculous to me that like they would move Ananobi unless they were getting, unless they were using him as like the centerpiece to get a guy with like all-star ceiling, right? Like you move Ananobi and like something else and something else. And, or like you, you accumulate Ananobi, Gary Trent and two firsts to try and get up to a max player. Right. Right. And if that's like, it, that's different. We're that's, that's using OG Ananobi as a piece to right. be proactive as opposed to being the one who's saying, yeah, you come at us and, and you can have OG Ananobi. He's available. That's, that's a different, yeah. it's a different sort of framing. No. Yeah. I, I don't get the Ananobi thing. Like people are like saying like, Oh yeah, like Portland, good target for Portland for what? Like, yeah. I mean, it's great target for Portland. I, I would rather have OG Ananobi <laughs> than the number seven pick this year. And I just I, like, think, I, I just think that everybody, sees athletic power forward and that's so clearly what portland wants they want athletic power forward they want jeremy grant they want og ananobi right. they want the the athletic right and somebody sees oh athletic power forward who has a contract that will fit into portland's trade exception portland easy yeah i wouldn't Let's trade og ananobi for the seventh pick and you know a million times you know you know a million times more about the value of the seventh pick in this year's draft class than i do but yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't trade him for the seventh pick yeah. Um, you brought up Fred Van Vliet. There is like a real extension opportunity here for the Raptors. They can get them at right around like three years, 90 million, um, you know, add that, that amount to his deal. Honestly, like I'd consider that. It seems like not a terrible to maybe add like a couple years, add 260 or something like that. Maybe he'd want the 390 to confirm and lock it in. Um I mean, they have the Siakam thing where, you know, again, he can sign an extension in October. He was absolutely terrific this year. Like, I would very much consider trying to lock him in. Uh, but, like, other than that, this is kind of a quiet offseason for Toronto, it feels like, while they just continue to wait for Scotty Barnes and, you know, may- maybe Scotty Barnes to move into a new realm, realm of player. I-, I wouldn't be surprised if they made some noise in the center market. I, yeah, that's I, a good point. I heard I heard a lot of stuff at the trade deadline about them being in on 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 centers. Like you know, Norland's Noel was one guy that I heard them connected with, and um, they love long centers. And I think they they feel like they could use just kind of a rim protecting five to fit into things. Like like I I don't remember if I said this earlier on the podcast or not cuz we've only been podcasting for 7 hours but I yeah. I, I Mitchell Robinson that seems like a Mitchell that like good team like if if a team's going to make an aggressive mid-level offer be like yeah it's mid-level but that's just cuz that's all we can pay you we really want you seems like a good Mitchell yeah. Robinson fit um like they a guy like that I could see them really I could see them really valuing someone like that. So that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. I buy that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything 
anything else here? I mean, they need to like kind of remake their bench. It feels like, like there is not going to be a crazy amount of depth. Like Chris Boucher is a free agent. Thad Young is a free agent. Um, Yuta Watanabe is a free agent who was like sneaky, semi-useful for them last year at times. My dog is like scratching at my door, just like very upset right now for some reason. Um, I'm going to go let her in. Talk about like the way the Raptors can remake their bench. Cause I think they're probably just going to try and like resign both those guys if they can. Yeah. I think, I think that would make sense. They, they, they couldn't hurt getting another shooter, to be honest. Like their half court offense really stalled at times. And I think that's like in part, like you feel comfortable helping off of Pascal Siakam and you feel comfortable helping off of Scotty Barnes. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they went out. Sam's dog is like has joined the podcast now. <laughs> I uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they went out and and tried to get a, a shooter or two as well to to join them and just add a little bit more more spacing to those lineups because they they can have times where where things can get cloggy, they can get a little slow and 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 like we saw them against Philly in the first round where it was like half court offense is not is not doing well against not their strong suit at right the now. moment. No, it's yeah. it's not. And they can thrive in transition when they start playing fast and when they're turning the ball over, but they are not great when they have to run the sets. And uh they if they could get an extra shooter out there, um someone I think that's something that could help them for sure. No, I agree with you. Uh find a shooter. Honestly, like I think they could use one more. Like it depends so much on what Scotty Barnes is going to be, right? And I feel like there's a long, it's kind of a wide window for could he just be like a top ten player in the league who creates shots versus you know uh, just barely sub all star like all NBA kind of guy that isn't quite that. So I'm not. They need him there's to also- be the top ten guy, or they need to find another secondary playmaker. I feel like. There, there's also like, man, pressures at Chua was really good in the second half of yeah. last year. Yeah. And just, and started shooting threes and it like at a, like a really good level. And, and if precious at is going to be what he was like, if, if he is continuing on this trajectory and if he's not just like what he was in the second half of last year, he's 20, 22 years old. If he's yeah. not just what he was second half of last year and he is this active of, a defender and he is this active of a scorer even, and now a shooter and, and look, I don't think the shooting's a fluke. Everyone goes to Toronto and just learns how to shoot. At some point, it's not a coincidence anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. If you sent everyone from the Andre Robertson, Josh Eustace hall of fame to Toronto, they would no longer be in the Andre Robertson, Josh Eustace hall of fame. (laughs) They all learn how to shoot. It's extraordinary. Uh, and the Andre Robertson, Josh Eustace hall of fame is, uh, that's an all timer. <laughs> and oh I just, God. I, Achua is a, is, is a big one for them because that that's a big bench piece for them too. And he was playing in a lot of their most important lineups at the end of the season and was massively important for them. And, uh, you know, he was the piece they got in the, in the Kyle Lowry sign and trade. Like that, that's a really consequential guy to uh, get back. I think he's really a part of their future. And that's something that will, that will help their depth next year. Just the development of him. He looks really good. Yeah, he does. That's a good call, but I think they're going to be pretty quiet this off season. Uh, One person who is not quiet right now is my dog, who I think is telling me that the podcast has to end. Fred, 
Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Uh, you can check out my stuff on The Athletic, mostly Nick stuff. Um, follow me on Twitter, at Fred Katz. Uh, that's, that's about it. The draft guide will be out at some point. I know that. I, I have a lot of work done on it already. Uh, it will definitely be something that's coming. Uh, Penny and I are podcasting on Thursday this week, Thursday night. So you guys will have that. But until next time, I think that's it. Penny is here. She's she's waiting to maybe go outside. Maybe, maybe just hang out with her dad. I don't know. But we'll talk soon. Bye.